0: Welcome to the Hope Chapel Sermon Podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by this teaching from God's Word. We currently are meeting again for in-person services and would love to have you join us if you feel comfortable. Our in-person service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. You can also tune into our live stream on Sundays at 9 and 11 by going to hopechapel.org forward slash live. I've entitled this, Enjoy the Security of Obedience. How many know and have experienced the reality of security and your peace in your life because you decided to do things God's way? You submitted. You said, Lord, not lean on my own understanding anymore. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to learn how to do things your way. Amen. And out of that comes a sense of peace and security. Man, you can't buy that stuff. So as we read these passages, I'm going to ask you once again, as is our custom, if you would stand for the reading of the Word of God. Matthew chapter 25, this is the parable of the talents. It's certainly a familiar passage to many if you've been in church very long at all. And, uh, but it is well worth rehearsing. It's a passage on stewardship. What's it a passage on? Stewardship, whatever God entrusts to you. In this case, he uses the term, the phrase money, but whether it's money, whether it's our lives, our talents, our abilities, it's a passage on stewardship. Pay close attention. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. Now he's talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. These are the kinds of things that characterize the kingdom of heaven. Who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money. To another, two talents. And to another, one talent. Now notice this. Each according to his ability. You can trust God. He ministers to us each according to our ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came, Master, he said, I, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then. You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is it a good idea to be a good steward? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> now, turn over with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. This is a tremendous account. I love this account. Now, there was, now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master, highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but... He had leprosy. Now, bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master, told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, said the king of Aram. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel said, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring him back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. And when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses, his chariots, stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of his Lord his God and wave his hands over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parfor the rivers of Damascus better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. And then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know. That there is no God in all the world except in Israel amen church this is the word of the Lord you may be seated terrific terrific passages would you agree the Matthew passage is a passage on stewardship God has entrusted each one of us with abilities talents gifts resources he each one of us are unique according to his design and his purpose. The question is, is as, we, as we dedicate a little Gavin this morning, as a parent, you, you want to study your child. How has God gifted this child? How has he created him so that we can, as parents, facilitate and encourage him along the way that God would have him go? Notwithstanding, certainly, spiritually. So the whole, the whole thing is, our, our whole lives are about the whole issue of stewardship. Am I a good steward over the relationships God has placed me in? Am I a good steward with the material resources he's entrusted to me? So you can see across the board, life is about stewardship. Would you agree? Life is about stewardship. And if we are indeed to be good and faithful stewards, And especially with respect to finances, we need to understand four principles. We need to embrace four principles. Firstly, we need to acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Is God sovereign over everything and over every person? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, he's not made us robots. We're not not automatons. God is sovereign, and he works in our life but he tells us this is the way to life, walk in it. He's designed us, he's designed life to function in a manner that only brings him glory and enhances our experience. Is that that a fair statement? Do we all agree with that? So if we're to be faithful stewards, we need to acknowledge his sovereignty, his sovereignty over everything. This body belongs to him. My life belongs to him. I want to live my life in a manner that pleases him, acknowledges his sovereignty. I want to learn more and more how to depend on him, how to trust in him. So what's my attitude? What's my attitude about his sovereignty? What's your attitude about his sovereignty? I have a healthy attitude. God, you're sovereign. I acknowledge you. Secondly, we need to be aware of and avoid the subtlety of debt. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about debt. I spent a whole session talking about debt and how to rid ourselves of debt. And again, this is an issue that's critical because far too many people in debt and far too many Christians in debt. Now, I'm not talking about secured debt, mortgage. I'm talking about unsecured debt. Uh, We had a testimony at the earlier service, young man, found himself in, in, in debt, student debt, $150,000. He saw no way out of it. He had no job, and he just cried to the Lord, and, and I won't go through all the details, but God miraculously enabled him to get out of debt. He is debt-free today. <laughs> Tremendous testimony. But debt can be a subtle thing, can't it? it could just Anybody notice how debt can just kind of creep up on you? Yeah, yeah. Thirdly, we need to be people who have an appropriate attitude with respect to the tithe. Now, I know there's lots of debate. People go back and forth. Well, you know, we're New Testament people and tithing was an Old Testament. Wait a minute, listen. God puts it very clearly. He says, the tithe of everything belongs to me. That kind of puts it to rest, okay? So we need to adopt the centrality of the tithe. So you need to ask yourself, Uh, What's my attitude? If I'm a good steward, if I want to be a better steward of what God has entrusted me, certainly in the area of finances, then I need to be aware of and adopt the whole principle of the tithe. Okay? Fourthly, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning, we do accept God's plan, accept God's plan and hence enjoy the security of obedience. That's where Naaman comes in. From Naaman's life in his situation, as we just read, we can learn at least six life-changing lessons. What did I say? We can learn what? Six life-changing lessons. And they these can have a direct application on our life, on our finances. On everything that God has entrusted to us to wisely steward. You ready? Yeah, ready. Number one, no one is immune from problems. No. Have you discovered that yet? No. Sometimes, sometimes I think we think, hey, what's this? What, what, what is this? Like, we're not supposed to have any problems. Ha! live in a fallen world, we're fallen beings, we're gonna have problems. Every so often someone comes and you say, Pastor, I have a problem. I said, of course you have a problem. You're not dead yet. (laughs) It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your position in life is. No one is immune from problems. Look at verse 1 of our passage in 2 Kings. Naaman is extolled. He's a a great man. His king, his master, is so proud of him. He's got all these virtues. But, but he had what? Leprosy. Naaman has a problem? Oh, yeah. He has leprosy. Leprosy. Naaman had leprosy. What's your problem? What's the problem you're struggling with? That opens the door to point number two God will use the most unlikely sources to get us what we need. In Naaman's situation, what was the unlikely source he used to get him to the cure of his problem? A servant girl. She's unnamed, but she's memorialized here for all eternity. Some servant girl from Israel captured by marauding bonds of soldiers from Aram. Imagine what's going on in her mind. She's out minding her own business, doing her own thing. Who knows, taking care of the sheep. And here comes some soldiers from Aram, and they take her captive. She's going... What is this? Is God sovereign? No matter what happens. It's not like he is, oops. Oops is not in God's vocabulary, you know that. Oops, I missed that one. No, he knows exactly what he's up to. This servant girl, will God will use to lead Naaman to the cure of his leprosy. Go figure. Thirdly, the answer to our problem won't usually be what we want to hear. What did Elisha tell Naaman? What did Elisha tell Naaman? Go wash. Go dip yourself seven times. Does that sound familiar? I tell new people, dip yourself seven times in our church, (laughs) and you'll be healed. Was that something Naaman wanted to hear? No. No, it was not. Number four. We'll be tempted to come up with our own plan. I'm going to ask for a show of hands how many people found themselves leaning on their own understanding, trying to figure it out, a solution. Oh, I think I get it. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I don't know about you, that is, that's cool. That's cool. I like that. He will make your path straight. So what was Naaman's plan? What did he come up with? He's going to go back up to Damascus. He's going to wash himself in the rivers in Damascus. Number five. How many are glad for wise friends? Wise friends will always encourage us to do what God says. One of the surest ways you can tell a true and wise friend is they will always tell you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. Look with me again at, at verse 13. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? If it was a big deal, you'd have probably done it, but he just said, go wash. Wise friends will always encourage us to do what God says. When people come to me and they talk and they say, Well, what, what should I do in this situation? I need help, need counseling, da. da, da. I said, Well, what does what does God say? Have you read his book? Are you Christian? If you're a Christian, you have his spirit living in you, true? All the power of the living God is resident in you by his spirit. Read his book. Do what he says. It's not that hard. I always go back to the, my illustration of marriage. It's such a great illustration. What does the Bible say to husbands? Yeah, love your wives with, with what? As Christ love the church? How much does Christ love the church? Gave his life up. Laid his life down for the church. The Implication for the husbands is what? Tunde. What is? what are we supposed to do? That's right. Lay your life down for that lovely Geneva, right? Oh, isn't that sweet? Precious couple. What does God say to wives? Submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Whoa, the S word. That'll tighten some jaws of some women this morning. I'm not going to submit to that guy. (laughs) You want to do what God says? You want to do what God says. Number six God's way is always the right way. How can I say that? Because He made us, this is His creation. He knows how it works best. He said, this is the way to life. Walk in it. Duh. I submit to you once again, there is great security in obedience. No anxiety, no frustration, no fear. In obedience, there's great security. So much freedom. Lord, I want to do this your way. Whatever it takes, I'm doing it your way. Naaman eventually did what he was told, didn't he? And he got what? Healed. I promise you, you will never obey God and regret it. Never. Man, I'm so glad. I'm so glad I did it God's way. I'm so glad I did it God's way. Obedience, by the way, always requires two things. Faith and faithfulness. What are the two things? Faith Faith and faithfulness. When I talk about faith... The issue is, very simply, am I willing to trust God and do things his way? Okay, I trust you. I trust what you say. I'm going to do this your way. How many parents do we have? Okay. Parents, have you ever said to your kids, trust me? Do what I'm telling you. You're not going to understand it right now, but I promise you it'll pay off. Sure, we understand that. Our Heavenly Father says the same thing. Trust me. We think our stakes are so much bigger. We're no different. It comes down simply to trusting God, doing things His way. That's what faith is all about. Obedience to God will always require faith on our part. That's what it comes down to. It's not negotiable. Well, I'm not sure... As long as you're not sure and as long as you're not willing to embrace and and do things God's way, you're not going to have any peace in your life. You're just not going to have it. It's not going to happen. Faith. Secondly, faithfulness. Obedience requires not only faith, it requires our faithfulness. You have to ask this simple question. Can God trust me to do this? In the parable of the talents, the master went to three of his servants, entrusted to them his resources. The servants should have said, can I be trusted with these things? Has God entrusted stuff to us? Yeah. Yeah. Can we be trusted Money, talents, abilities, time, energy, career. I mean any number of life categories and situations, right? And I'm not talking about just the good things. God God can can trust can can I can I be trusted with this, but I'm talking about the difficult things of life. Can I be trusted to be faithful in the midst of that? Many of you know that my wife's health is wanting. And I've had to say, God, you can trust me. I'm willing to stay in the process and see this through to the end. And sometimes it requires you to just simply deny yourself. Sometimes it requires you to get up when you don't feel like it. Sometimes it requires you to do things that you never believed you would ever have to do. Can I be faithful? Whatever life situation you find yourself in that God places you, you say, God, I'm going to be trustworthy. You can trust me with this, I'm going to be faithful with this relationship. With this situation, I'm going to be faithful with this job. I'm going to be faithful with the money you entrust me. I'm going to stay in the process. We're all pretty good at starting out doing the right stuff, aren't we? Pretty good? We get ambitious, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because we don't really know how long it's going to last. <laughs> but too often we give up too soon. It takes faithfulness. Will I stay the course? Will I see this through to the end? And when you, when you decide to obey God, be prepared for three things to happen. <laughs> Don't think it's going to be all smooth sailing. Does the devil want you to flourish? No. No. No, he he is active. Peter tells us our adversary is roaming about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You need to be aware. Beware of discouragement. Oh, we can be so easily discouraged over stuff, can't we? You shake our heads, go, oh, how long, God? How long? The devil will come and tempt us. He blows in our ear. He knows that the flesh is and that the flesh does not like to be disciplined, does it? <laughs> but God disciplines those he loves. You may find yourself being tempted to say, why am I going through this? Why am I, going, why am I putting up with this? Why am I disciplining myself? Why am I going without while everyone else seems to be having everything they want? They seem to be having all the fun. Why me? Be prepared. When you commit yourself seriously, really, to walking in obedience and trusting God, be prepared for the devil to come. And he's going to do everything he can do To discourage you. Discouragements are gonna come, I promise you. But if you're prepared, when they come, you go, ah, I know where this is coming from. (laughs) Secondly, distractions. How many would admit to be easily distracted? (laughs) More hands ought to go up. We can be easily distracted, can't we? Yes. If you don't watch it, you'll find yourself distracted and you'll find yourself rationalizing, getting off track. What happens? The devil leads you right back into bondage. Right back into bondage. I often want to ask people about their prayer life. So, describe your prayer life to me. Should every Christian have a prayer life? Yes. yes. And every so often I hear, well, you know, it's, it's not what it ought to be. <laughs> What's that? Euphemism for I don't have a prayer life. <laughs> if you don't already, you should have a prayer closet. A place that you go, nobody else goes with you, not even your phone. You go into your prayer closet. Something, if you don't already know this, you need to know about prayer. A lot of times we just lapse into prayers, you know, gimme, 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 gimme. And while God says "You, you ask, okay, you can ask. But prayer more is just getting quiet, spending time with him. It's like a relationship. It is a relationship. And when you're in a relationship with somebody, somebody you really care about, or at least you profess to care about, don't you want to spend time with that person? Do you want to do all the talking? No. You want to learn how to what? Listen. Nothing blesses the other partner in that relationship like you listening. And you might learn something. I didn't know that. So you're in your prayer closet. When I go into my prayer closet, I say, okay, here I am, Lord, reporting for duty. (laughs) Speak, for your servant is listening. Rather than listen, because your servant is speaking. Speaking. Is this helpful? You don't want to be distracted in that very precious time. And I promise you, the more you realize that relationship with him, the more you are excited to get to that prayer closet. Make intercessions. Tell him how much you love him. Thank him for everything. And then listen. Lord, teach me. Teach me. Speak to me. Thirdly, you have to be aware of detractors. Beware of people who try to discourage you, try to make fun of you, try to, <laughs> try to convince you of a better way than God's way. I'm here to tell you, there's no better way than God's way. If people come and tell you, well, you know, you need this, you need that, you need this, this counselor, that counselor, you say, wait a minute. I got the Bible. I got the Holy Spirit. I got God. I'm going to sit down and let God teach me. I'm going to sit down and let God speak to me. There is no better way than God's way. So beware of detractors. God never calls us to the easy way. Anybody discovered that? Oh, I'm going to become a Christian everything's going to be... (laughs) He never calls us to the easy way. He doesn't call us to the lazy way or the inexpensive way. It costs everything to follow him. Costs nothing to come to him, but everything to follow him, right? Nor does he call us to the convenient way. (laughs) Oh, I just want to, I don't want any hassles. Lord, just make my way straight like you said you would. He always calls us to the right way. His way. Our job simply is to decide to listen. It may take practice because maybe you're not accustomed to listening. It may take practice. And it's not a mystery. When God speaks, you'll know it. Our responsibility simply is to listen and obey him and do what he tells us. When we apply God's principles, God's way, we'll always get God's results. Now I want to transition. I want to rehearse with you one more time eight simple strategies to be free from financial stress and difficulty. Since money is such a big deal in our life, would you agree? All right. Number one, trust God. Trust God. Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. He says, I got it all. I'll take care of it. You put me first, put my righteousness. Trust me, I'll take care of the details. Proverbs 3, 5 again, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That's always a challenge to learn how to do with all of my heart, right? Secondly, tithe. Without question, that is critical to financial success, the tithe. Now I know people want to debate that all the time. They say, well, we were New Testament people, that's old testament. <laughs> God says the tithe of everything belongs to me. Boom. That's it. Tithe. David says in Second Samuel, I will not sacrifice the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Whoa. That puts people to shame, doesn't it? Every Christian ought to be faithful, consistent tither. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul underscores this. He says, remember this. Don't forget this. Whoever sows sparingly will also, what? Reap Reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also Reap. reap generously. That is a law that God has built into his creation. That's the law of reciprocity. just like gravity, it works every time. Then he goes on in verse 7. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a... (laughs) You should be hilarious when we're giving, right? (laughs) A long time ago, I I preached this message, and, and a man came up to me after the service, and he said... What if I'm not cheerful? Should I still give? (laughs) I said, yes, but God would prefer you be cheerful about it. And notice this. Look at the number of times the word all is in this verse. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in what? Every good work. <sighs> what greater promise could you ask for? How many found that to be true? Oh, just a few of you. All right, well, it's a good thing you're here this morning to hear this. Well, I was a brand new Christian, I was in a Bible study. Lori Caesar, I think you're the last surviving member of that Bible study besides me. Brand new Christian. She and her husband, Joe, took me under their wings. And they were discipling me. And they were, you know, I, I, I didn't even own a Bible. They bought me my very first Bible. I knew nothing. And so they're, they're teaching me. They're discipling me. And, and I remember asking one, one, of our, one of our Bible study meetings, I said, what does this thing tithe? I hear this word tithe. And so they told me what it was. I said, oh, really, 10%. What was my next question? Gross or net? <laughs> they said, right off the top. It's the first fruits. <gasps> then I asked, does everybody do it? And they said, everybody does it. Little did I know that not everybody does it. I said, well, if everybody does it, I'm going to do it too. I want to to be on the team. (laughs) Lori, thank you for the years of faithful ministry and for the influence you and Joe had in my life. Number three, develop a budget. Develop a budget. Now, I ask people. Say, "Do you have a budget?" Yes, I have a budget. Do you stick to it? Well, more or less. Develop a budget. Listen to Jesus. He encourages planning, preparing, and strategizing. Luke's Gospel. Suppose if one of who wants to build a tower will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Or well, if he lays the foundation, not able to finish it, everyone will see that will ridicule him. They think you're an idiot. What were you thinking? You weren't. You weren't planning. You don't have a budget. Number four, get out of debt. If you really want to get out of debt, you can get out of debt. The greatest feeling in your entire life will be to realize the freedom from the debt of sin that you were born with. Realizing it. (sighs) The next greatest feeling in life is to realize the freedom from, phys- from financial debt. If you're buying a house and own a house, I'll never forget the day I made my final house payment. I did everything I could to accelerate to pay down the principal, save money, get out of that house. I'll never forget when I wrote the last payment. I went, oh, right! No more house payment. You can do it. You can do it. The rich rule over the poor. The borrower is servant to the lender. Get out of debt. Stop being servant to someone else other than God. Now remember, by the way, we talked about this. Remember the word interest? Don't forget what that word really means. If you're paying interest... Somebody else is making money, you're not. You're losing money. You're paying interest. And of course, remember what the letters D-E-B-T stand for. Dumb explanation for buying things. Or if you're tempted to use debt to buy something, D-E-B-T means don't even buy that. I encourage people whenever I can, if you can't pay cash for it, don't buy it. If you can't pay cash for it, don't buy it. Learn to save. I used to tell people years ago, before we had debit cards and all this other stuff, I'd give people a whole series of envelopes and they would label each envelope with an expense on your budget. i say each month you put away money. You, you, you put money in that envelope, pay the rent, pay food, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You operate on a cash basis. You'd be amazed, you'd be amazed how much cash you have when you function on a cash basis. How many people, how many people like to wait? I don't know very many people like to wait. I went through the McDonald's drive through the other day. I don't know what the guy in front of me was doing. <laughs> I sat there for a full six minutes. I counted it. In the drive-thru. I, I would never do it, but I was tempted to punch my horn. I was tempted to say, what's going on up there? We don't like to wait. We want to have what we want. And we want it now. We want it when we want it, right now. Does God make us wait? Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Pay cash for everything, start paying off your debts. Number 5. Start saving. Start saving. Oh, pastor, you don't know. I I don't know. Listen, God has given you the exact amount of money he wants you to have. Included in that is an amount you can save. You need to sit back again, look at that budget, and figure out where you're wasting money. He means for you to have some money saved. Proverbs chapter 13 says dishonest money Dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. There's this thing called compound interest. (laughs) It's a miracle. Just be faithful. Put a little bit away. Well, how can I do that? Well, always spend less than you earn. Set a goal: having more money left at the end of your month and more month left at the end of your money. I'm gonna have a savings. After you've given God his tithe, save 10% for yourself. Make that the goal. As my son was growing up, I told him, I said, you're going to tithe on whatever money you get. Then you're going to have a short-term savings account and a long-term savings account. Short-term, 10%. Long-term, 5%. Put that money away. Yeah, but I want to buy this, I want to buy that. Shut up. I'm training you and teaching you how to be a financial steward. Number six, have an emergency fund. An emergency fund. That means something on the side that you put a little bit away regularly in case of an emergency. I've had a number of people over the years take my counsel on this and come back and tell me at some point, you know what? we had a need to rise on our mini-church, and I had this emergency fund, I could help. Have an emergency fund. You need to have a will or a trust or some legal instrument to protect your financial estate. If you don't have something like that, man, you just, you just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen to you. Don't think, "Wow, well, I'm young, that's no big deal. You have no idea... When you walk out this door, what's gonna to happen to you? You need to be prepared. Number eight, don't quit or turn back. Don't quit or turn back. Don't get sidetracked by what anybody else says to you. Don't allow yourself to be distracted by what happens and don't quit or turn back. You set your sails, you're going in this direction, I am not quitting. I'm going to implement these eight strategies for my life. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Do you you remember Lot's wife? God says, get out of town. Don't look back. What does she do? She looks back. What happened to her? Tragic. And remember Naaman. Remember Naaman. The issue wasn't the washing. It was the obeying. It wasn't the washing. It was the obeying. He obeyed, and he was blessed. Say that with me. He obeyed, and he was blessed. Not everybody's playing with me. He obeyed and he was blessed. Still some of you are just sitting there. Try one more time. He obeyed and he was blessed. Awesome. Thank you. So I leave you with this. Are you yet enjoying the security of obedience? If not, you have a roadmap. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your provision, for your grace. Thank you that you're sovereign. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you you've given us your spirit. Lord, to energize us and strengthen us for those moments of trial and testing. Thank you for every good gift you provide for us. Thank you even, Lord, for the trials that test our faith and prove them. We love you this morning. We come to your table again to remember Jesus, that life is about him, that everything is about him. And Lord, we just ask you to search our hearts by your spirit. If there's any wrong way in us, convict us, Lord. Convict us to repent and turn back to you, surrender these things to you. On behalf of the Hope Chapel family, I'd like to thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit www.hopechapel.org.